podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. With all of the savings I get when I drive, I'm having the time of my life. Driving safe all right, insurance, save me so much in my car. Driving safe all right, insurance, I've dreamed of saving for so long, I'm saving big all right. Safe drivers save up to 20% with insurance. Get a quote at AAA.com slash insurance. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Foot Weekly Podcast. A bit of a different one because it's actually my birthday on the day that we normally record. And over the last many weeks, there have been plenty of good segments, particularly on gameplay, that haven't quite made the cut because of time reasons, but are still really good. And so I thought this would be a great opportunity to get those out there. First of all, though, I'm going to be speaking to Eurogamer journalist Wesley Yin Poole, who's been across the EA lawsuit that was filed in California around dynamic difficulty and scripting. He's going to fill us in on what went down. Right then, I'm your host, Ben. You're listening to the Foot Weekly Podcast, brought to you by our supporters. First of all, Wesley Yin Paul of Eurogamer.net. Welcome to the pod. Hello, lovely to be here. Great to have you. Thanks very much for jumping off work and jumping straight on the pod. Really appreciate it. Yeah, and no, I'm excited. Looking forward to it. Let me start off by giving a little bit of background here on scripting, dynamic difficulty, momentum, handicap, etc. I've spoken about it before, but the idea is that with scripting, the game has essentially predetermined the outcome of a game and is going to make you lose no matter what you do. And also the other side of that is the dynamic difficulty, which we'll get into, but is sort of the idea that they can shift and change the game as you play it to make it more difficult so that you have worse outcomes. Now, while this sounds very tinfoil hat and, of course, a game that is based on real football is going to have a lot of randomness in it and people like to see patterns and shift blame too. But despite EA coming out and denying the existence of this, it isn't total tinfoil hat because there was a patent filed by EA around this idea of introducing dynamic difficulty to their games. And I suppose, Wesley, that is where a lot of this speculation stems from. Yeah, the patent itself is is relatively old. It's um, they successfully um, had it approved uh, a few years ago now. It was picked up a couple of years ago by the wider FIFA community, um, who looked at what the detail of dynamic difficulty adjust, uh, adjustment was in the patent, and sort of traced a line from that into how it might work in Ultimate Team. And I don't, I don't not necessarily blame the FIFA community for seeing this and doing that because if you see like a big company like EA uh, secure a patent this isn't um it isn't a patent that they're sort of waiting for approval on or uh, something people suspect that they have a patent on uh, they do have this patent mm. i think you, you can reasonably imagine how that might apply to ultimate team like they talk about not they don't specifically say FIFA but in in any game uh, and it's and they talk about you know providing extra speed to an in-game character, for example, improving the throwing accuracy of an in-game character. What has throwing in it? Well, FIFA has throwing in it. Uh, improve the distance or height that the in-game character can mm. jump. Uh, FIFA characters jump all the time. That's a key part of the game. Just the responsiveness of the controls. What the FIFA players constantly complaining about responsiveness of the controls. 
adjustments may additionally or alternatively include reducing the ability of an in-game character rather than improving the ability of the in-game character. Now, you read this and you think, God, you know, that, that could very easily make sense in the context of playing the game of FIFA. Now, why would EA want to have this tech in their game in the first place? Well, it's all about maximising a player's engagement through the entire game. Now, that's a kind of like vague statement to make. But what that really means is keeping people interested. So if they're like playing the game and they're a bit bored, they might turn it off, right? I mean, that's what people do. But if dynamic difficulty adjustment can detect that a player is somewhat bored by playing a game, Hmm. then they might make their character more powerful and then they might theoretically have a better time but then you can also change the game to make it harder now the way that um the fifa community looked at this pattern and applied it to ultimate team is where i think the sort of disconnect and sort of jumping to conclusions part of this has come from which is this the idea that va under the hood unknown to the player will for, for whatever reason make your players worse thus potentially making you struggle or lose a game online in Ultimate Team. And then what do you do when you think when you lose? Mm. You think, well, maybe my team's not strong enough. I need to improve my team in some way. And then what do you do? Well, you consider buying packs. And that's then that gets to the heart of the lawsuit, which mm. was a class action lawsuit, which uh, video game mm. publishers often face in the US and Canada, where um, a few Californians got together to suggest well, they, they alleged, it wasn't a suggestion, they went out there and alleged that EA was misleading customers of FIFA in Ultimate Team by having this technology, and uh, they were suing them. It was a legit suit lawsuit. It was filed in the appropriate mm. manner, in the proper way, and it um, obviously involved EA's lawyers having to deal with this. Yeah, then we've had this statement from EA saying, ensuring players fair is critical to all of us at EA and we've tried to be as clear as possible that this commitment applies to us just as much as it does to our players. We've publicly said before that we do not use any scripting or dynamic difficulty adjustment or anything similar that would automatically adjust the difficulty of gameplay in FIFA, Madden and NHL Ultimate Team matches. Our clear statements were recently challenged in a lawsuit that alleged we did in fact use DDA in ultimate team modes. We're pleased to share that the plaintiffs have now dismissed their case. We provided them with detailed technical information and access to speak to our engineers, all of which confirmed again that there is no DDA or scripting in ultimate team modes. This is the right result. Then it goes on to say, while EA does own a patent for DDA technology, we would not use DDA technology to give players an advantage or disadvantage in online multiplayer modes in any of our games, and we absolutely do not have it in FIFA, Madden, or NHL, and never will. So there we go, a very strong statement from EA. I mean, there are plenty of lawsuits involving big corporations that are publicly listed where they'll not admit liability and they'll settle to make things simpler. Here they've actually quite clearly gone for it and made sure that they're showing that there isn't any dynamic difficulty in their games. It really feels like they've pulled out some extra stops here. Yeah, there's no suggestion here that there was any sort of settlement. Sometimes, not usually, but sometimes when you have these class action lawsuits where there is clearly a problem, and one of those examples in video games might be uh, problems with controller drift in consoles, for example. You mm. might get a settlement where um, the plaintiffs are given an undisclosed fee and it just all goes away. This isn't like that. 
EA is saying that the plaintiffs have now dismissed their case. So it does look very much look like EA uh, invited people to look at the inner workings of FIFA to see for themselves, and it just ended up showing that this just isn't in the game. Yeah, and I think the evidence that was really there against EA on this was the patent. And of course, EA will have hundreds of patents. In fact, they do. And they'll be getting patents approved all the time because a patent means that they have the exclusive ability to use this particular thing and that others would have to potentially pay to use that. And so for a big corporation in the gaming world, it'd basically be negligent not to be filing all these patents. But the thing is, again, that they've come out so clearly and rebutted the idea that they're using this patent that I think while at the moment, whatever the statement said, there wouldn't have really been any attention from, say, shareholders, their investors and business partners, interests, etc., if it came out after such a forceful statement that dynamic difficulty actually was in the game, it sort of leaked out as these things probably would, that would then be a catastrophe. And so their legal team PR would not be allowing a statement as forceful and clear as this. And of course, allowing these plaintiffs to see the code, to speak to engineers, all this kind of stuff, if there was a chance that it was there. And I think that is quite clear to me and then beyond that you look at the other evidence that's around and well it is quite anecdotal really it's people saying well the game went against me at this point this game changed and the outcome was influenced in some way uh, that was out of my control and there are things in the game which can of course cause this which don't necessarily have to be scripted or or difficulty adjusted it is things like connection which unfortunately isn't good enough in many circumstances and can cause issues. And then you've also got, of course, just bad coding or the fact you have 10 other players who are controlled by the AI and those can have issues with the way their AI behavior works and that can feel like things are going against you. And then, of course, you've got the tactical tweaks that you might do, say, turning on team press. I've had opponents message me saying, oh, that game was scripted, I was always going to lose that second half sort of thing, and actually it's because you turned on team press and they haven't been able to cope. So that is a thing, definitely, people shifting the blame. But also I think, as mentioned earlier, it's important to remember that as a football simulator, it needs to involve a lot of randomness. Honestly, the game wouldn't be fun, I think, if it didn't. And that, I suppose, is probably the main thing Wesley, that they would point to as being the cause of people's belief that this dynamic difficulty or scripting is in the game, when actually they may be slightly wrong, because I imagine connection and coding issues are probably even more of a factor. Yeah. What I was told is there there is error in some of the algorithms for traps, for example, trapping the ball. That is built in throughout the game and is measured um, on an individual level. It's not that the game is taking into account that you might be one nil down and it's the 90th minute, for example, and then the game you know, would give a player more error. Mm. It's more trying to reflect the nature of the sport in that uh, players can get fatigued. They can lose concentration yep. and things can happen as a result of that. And then, you know, it's a video game. Mm. Sometimes the simulation breaks down in some sort of like crazy physics nightmare players collide and fall over themselves in a natural way or there are bugs you know all of this sort of stuff combines so 
again, I don't blame the FIFA community for looking at this pattern and thinking this could be in the game. Mm. Um, I do think that this lawsuit was a little bit frivolous um, and, you know, perhaps didn't need to happen. Yeah, <laughs> but, and, uh, and they've said this before, right? It's, as we've said, not something that they are particularly springing on everyone now and past statements they've made EA's legal team would have been across those and they would have been sure to make sure they're correct, I suppose. Yeah, everything EA says in a public sense, you know, public statements like this are go through multiple rounds of legal checks. Yeah. But um, the FIFA community and, and the games press shouldn't let EA off the hook for when things are going wrong with FIFA. And there are lots of things that do go wrong with FIFA. And uh, it's right to question mm. their developers and their producers when they do say things about the game that we that don't feel right or, or don't make sense that is all absolutely what we should be doing mm-hmm. but um you know dynamic difficult adjustment working fifa is a myth and and after this it probably should be considered as such yeah yeah i see what you mean and also i think yeah you've made a good point there it's people are distracted from the real flaws in the game you know the coding problems the things that are frustrating about the mechanics which aren't scripted they're just problems that we should be talking about and, and pressing ea on and encouraging them to change and this distracts from them and it also distracts from people focusing on the things that they can improve when they're playing fifa if they're people trying to you know get to the next level blaming something like scripting is obviously always gonna be a easy out for people when they could be improving their game and i think scripting momentum dynamic difficulty it has been a major distraction for the community and while this might not be the nail in the coffin or a silver bullet if you like it perhaps will provide just a bit of closure and legal clarity around the issue at least for now anyway yeah i mean having reported on this there are definitely lots of people who still still believe it's in the game um (laughs) and i don't think this is going to go away all of a sudden but um I think it should. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's why we tend not to discuss it too much. But because of this article that you put out, which has a very clear and forceful statement in it from EA, I think it was a great opportunity to talk about it. A huge thank you, Wesley, for coming on and uh, sharing your thoughts and findings. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. And you can read that along with many other related articles over on Eurogamer.net. And Wesley, I believe they can also follow you on Twitter. Yeah, that's at WYP100. Fantastic. Thanks again. We'll now move on to a discussion on countering formations with Matfoot Trading, Top 200 player Hubert and Airjapes FIFA. The three of you are obviously extremely good players and probably don't feel the need for this so much, but it's something that I always do and I cannot resist the question on it. Lars Brodersen says, do you have a go-to formation slash tactics when you identify the opponent is playing a certain formation? Like when you see people playing the 4-1-2-1-2 narrow, do you jump into the 3-5-2 or similar? In general, I'd really like to hear how you counter certain formations. And he's saying the 5-3-2, 3-5-2 and 4-3-3 and so on. I mean, in terms of people playing, and this is a kind of twist on the 5-3-2, I suppose, but three at the back is like 3-5-2. There are ways of taking advantage of it. Matt, first of all, maybe do you have a particular formation that you might switch to if someone was playing a three at the back? I don't really take note too much of formations. I've focused more on maybe the play style and, you know, certain patterns mm, of play yeah. they tend to exploit. 
it's definitely something to you know make a note of. You know, if you realise they're playing a a three five two, you obviously look at the wingers to see if you can get those one v ones against the outside centre backs. But most of the time, I'll I'll just focus on my own play style, and when defending, I'll focus more on sort of their typical patterns of play. You know, do they like to exploit a certain skill move, or are they, you know, trying to use the the long through ball? You know, are they trying to do X Y Z? Yeah, I think that's good advice because I went through a phase of basically being like, okay, my opponent's playing this formation. I know this formation is stronger against it, which does work to an extent. Like it was a slight advantage, but as a result, I was just constantly flicking through formations and not really having any consistency to my play, even though it was giving me a bit of an advantage. I think I was losing out on that familiarity with your own play style uh, as a result. But there are certain clear matchups for me, like people playing the 4 one 2 narrow, which is a very, very strong against certain formations. Like, I think it's actually quite hard to play against if you're playing, say, the 4-2-3-1. Switching to a 3-5-2 is, for me, or a 3-4-2-1 is kind of a huge advantage. But I suppose, talking about three at the backs and how to play against them, I think, Japes, that the 4-3-3 is actually quite strong against three at the back formations, just because you've got the... Well, actually, Hugh kind of talked about it when talking about the 5-3-2. Um, it has that three up front, the left wing, right wing striker that matches up quite well against a three at the back, James? The 4-3-3, I think you can make it match up well against any formation. I mentioned it before, but like what I'm looking for is when, if I'm looking for somebody that's playing a 4-4-2 or a 5-3-2, whatever, my, my main considerations are how to tweak my formation to counter in some ways what they're doing. So I'm looking yeah. at switching the CDM's instructions to like the CDM on man mark against a four, two, three, one is amazing. Like if you have a quick CDM, like Phil Blum or Conte or whoever it might be, they, they just basically mark their attacking mid Neymar, whoever it is like straight out of the game and make them super ineffective. And so when they do try to counter, they oftentimes have like a lone striker set up against your two center backs. And you sort of just laugh as you take it away from them. Every time when you're playing against a four, four, two, you don't want your CDM on man Mark because he's going to get confused and there's nobody really kind of in that midfield role for him to mark. So you want to tell him to cut passing lanes and prevent that little like one, two, Hmm. And then, you know, the other thing is on the fullback, sometimes if a person is playing with their wide players on stay forward, like sometimes you need to tell your fullbacks to stay back so you don't get hit on the counter too easily. But, you know, I like having my fullbacks attack. So that's kind of like a last ditch effort for me if I'm really getting burned out wide. Yeah, uh, that's good advice. And uh, Hugh, anything to add on this? Not too much against, you know, five or three at the back, but one at least anecdotal bit of evidence that I would say for changing tactics um, is there's this one guy who I play almost every weekend who plays 4-3-1-2 and he uses real strikers like Inform Rashford as his wide CMs and he leaves his front three on stay forward he plays long ball and all he does is just spam through balls and I think this guy is maybe like a gold one player but I have never struggled against someone so consistently like him like I've I've had better games against pro players just because the way he plays is just it all, it's almost like nonsensical, but like it just works so well. Um, and every time I play him, I'm like flipping through tactics and trying everything. And it's like six, five every time. And this weekend, I realized that when I was changing to four, two, three, one, a bit more stable to try to block the counter, that then I wasn't able to play out of pressure as well. So really all I did was I went back to the four, three, three. I put the fullbacks on stay back and I put the, the CMs that go forward on stay on the edge of the box, just so they're a little more, prep to deal with the counter because he had three CMs. So we'd be right there. 
um, and then just triggering their runs manually when I felt it was safe to do so mm. um, and managed to finally win in extra time. But I think sometimes it's more of just countering what your opponent is good at doing rather than the formation itself. You know, you could play 4 one 2 one 2 with a really narrow, just, you know, tiki-taka passes, or you could play it like this guy with CMs running wide, long balls, spam through balls. So it's, you can't just say that, you know, mm. one tactics counters one other tactic every time. It's just more of making sure you're solid in the ways that the opponent is threatening and then finding a way to, you know, still attack, not just leaving everyone back to block. There we go. That's that section wrapped up. Thanks to Hugh, Matfoot Training and Japes for their insights there. I was actually thinking as I was going through that, one thing I'd say for players maybe starting out thinking about this kind of thing would be to look at how your opponent sets up and start to think, are they playing narrow? Are they playing wide? And also remember, you can see your opponent's formation by going to the player rating screen in the pause menu so you know do that half time maybe early on if you're really unsure and really need to know for some reason um, but that is a useful tip too right then let's take a quick break in this break i wanted to give you some very useful info which many of you will know and will be enjoying as i speak but some of you may not and if you don't it's a game changer you'll probably be aware that there are two foot weekly podcasts each week one on the main feed and one available to patrons exclusively as one of many thank yous for patron support but actually, what a lot of people don't know is that you can get that Patreon feed, which has both the exclusive supporter episode and the publicly available episode, that's this one, ad-free in your podcast app. You can get that unique RSS feed link in the original email you were sent by Patreon, which says something about rewards, or on your Foot Weekly Patreon homepage when you're logged in. Once you've found that unique link, you can click on it on mobile and it will probably add it automatically or just paste it in and there we go. It's super convenient and easy to do. The only thing I would say is I'm not sure it works on Spotify because Spotify doesn't allow for direct links, but that could be wrong. And you can always use the Patreon app, which is very good in itself to do that anyway. But also if you're listening to this as a non-supporter thinking, oh, I didn't realize it was that easy and going to be that convenient. Uh, perhaps I'll support the pod, get double the bonus podcast content, potentially much more from just £3 a month. Then do support if you can. Uh, you can do that over at Patreon, bit.ly slash more pod. So that's bit.ly slash more pod. And if you need some extra help with setting up the feed link, go to bit.ly slash more pod feed. So that's bit.ly slash more pod feed. Right. Well, thank you for listening to this break pointer. Hopefully that was helpful for some people. Let's jump back into it with a section with the foot coach, Steve, Edge Apes FIFA and Marcus Gomes, regional Oceana champion. At Lowe's, we know you can get the job done faster if you don't have to stop and come into the store all the time. That's why we've updated our app with your business in mind. With the app, you can build quotes, easily reorder your supplies, track orders, and much more. So you can get everything you need right away, stay on the job, finish it, and get started on the next one. Download the app today, because Lowe's knows time is money. Lowe's knows pros. So the question I'll ask now is something that we haven't really discussed too much this year, but is well worth talking about. And that is a question from Richard saying, is the game healthier with long shots being pretty ineffective? With the 5-3-2 being the meta, it's one way to deal with deep line defending. And there's nothing sweeter than scoring a long shot. And I agree with 
what Richard is saying here. But I wonder whether that might not be the absolute truth about long shots, that they are completely ineffective. Japes, what are your thoughts on this? So here's the, here's the thing with long shots. People take them in really bad positions. So this year, I've I've actually scored a handful of long shots lately using that end of an era Rooney card. And I it's not something that I've... Like I really was doing beforehand uh, or like before recently, but like the dude's got baseline 99 shot power and like 94 long shots. And I think when you're saying long shot, like I'm saying probably anywhere, not just like outside the 18 yard box, but like maybe five yards outside the 18 yard box. Right. Mm. And people don't taking long shots isn't even in their vocabulary in the right place. And what I would say is like, when people say, oh, long shots are ineffective, one, who are you shooting them with? And two, how many have you actually taken to see what's effective and what's not effective? Because mm. I've actually found like Rooney with long shots and even the team of the year, Joshua Kimmich as well against like Nick Pope, quite mm. good, surprisingly good. Yeah. And I actually think long shots are better than people think they are this year. It's just our brains have been so pre-programmed that it's not an effective way to score that we don't really take them in the right situations because our brain's not saying, mm, this is a long shot opportunity. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great point. And also, you know, Nick Pope has that, what, 75 reactions or whatever on the card, you know, even his inform. Um, whereas someone like Allison, I think, has 86 and the top keepers all have 85 plus pretty much, I think. And that reaction stat on the card that you can't see unless you go to database websites or look in game, I guess, is impacting the calculations that the goalkeeper is doing in terms of what to do when they see a shot coming towards them. The lower the reactions, the less quickly they're going to do that. So someone like Nick Pope in goal, if you can take a shot outside the area, then he may not react to that quick enough to actually make the save. So I think, you know, that's a, that's a very good point. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, we talked, oh gosh, how many how many pods ago was that uh, with Greg oh, like about four, like the yeah. different keeper stats? Yeah. And so thinking about it more, like the reason I think Cat's so good is because I'm pretty sure, you know, tinfoil hat because we don't know these things. It's all speculation. But I'm pretty sure the diving stat affects how good they are at defending long shots. And because people don't take long shots often, the cat chemistry style is the best one because reflexes is what is most useful against like shots from in and around the box. I'm pretty sure this is how like the stats interact. At least that's my guess. And so when people use cat and keepers that have low diving, right? Because like Nick Pope will have 83 diving even on his inform mm. because people are still putting cat on him. Like long shots end up quite good against those players with the low like reaction as well as your point out, Ben. So I don't know, something for the pod listeners to play around with this week, try it out, use a power shot, shoot it across the keeper. You'll get dip if you have a player that has high shot power, high long yeah, shots. That's a good point. I think, yeah, I absolutely agree that a lot of people have ruled out long shots without necessarily taking too many. And I think it was example who was on the pod saying he loves a finesse shot from distance and that can be really effective. Marcus, anything to add on long shots yourself? Uh, so it's very interesting. I do take... Decent amount of long shots, especially with like players like I don't have Rooney, but I have Bruno. So it's very similar impact where mm. the space is open, I will shoot it. But I think like in terms of 
longer distance. I think finesse shots is something I've started to get into my game. Um, I played with a full, pretty much a full Future Stars team last week on Xbox, and Kulsevsky scored so many finesse shots for me. Like, it was actually mm. crazy. The ones over Pope and Vanderson were the most impressive ones just because they're height as well. I think it's definitely an underrated factor where it's like, oh, this isn't a high percentage shot, so I'm not going to do it. I think a lot of people are in that kind of mentality now, especially coming off last FIFA. I think obviously FIFA 19 was crazy, but last FIFA was very much a get the ball in a good position mm. and shoot. But this year, I think people have kind of forgotten that you can cross. I was scoring headers this weekend again, like it was old FIFA 19 days. You I was scoring finesse it. shots. <laughs> uh, no, I'll, I'll, I'm going to show you the crosses. They were actually nice crosses. They weren't the ones where you just flick it like you. They weren't the ones I wasn't flicking it up or I wasn't just crossing it like Hail oh, Mary dude, crosses. I, I they love were the actually cross. like. You're not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just for people, people were like saying, oh my God, this guy's crossing like FIFA 19. I think. I think they've forgotten what FIFA 19 crosses were where <laughs> yeah. the crosser was not on at all and people would just put it on your yeah. defender's head knowing that they'd win it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think the finesse shot is definitely super underrated this year. Uh, I score quite a few with my Bruno. It's just like a little bit of space. People don't respect it because they're always, he's going to pass it here, he's going to do a skill move, he's going to do this, that. I just shoot mm-hmm. it. I just shoot it. You don't have to time them. I mean, if you can time them green, of course, then good on you. But you don't have to time them. Like it's, They still go in. Nah, 100%. I think that's something that is very effective, especially when you play against a deep-lying player, a five-back, someone that's relying on those AI blocks. Obviously, sometimes, to get me wrong, the defenders can do some crazy AI blocks still, but for the most part, your finesse shots should go over them, and um, it's a great way to get a lead, I felt yeah. I've seen. Before I forget, actually, and uh, I'll move on to Steve, Japes, are you putting quite a bit of power into them? Because I think that's oh, a mistake yeah. people often make, that they don't power them enough, and obviously the keeper saves it. I do it all by feel. Um, so take what I'm saying with not with like a, necessarily like a grain of salt, but like I I I believe that I put quite a bit of power on them and like more than you yeah. would think. And I, like in mm. general, I think I use more power than a lot of people do, because oftentimes even in the box, like I roof my shots I'm going for that top net, yep. the best net. <laughs> and. I, you know, that like shot power, dude, shot power is a stat that if a player has low finishing, it absolutely makes up for that stat. And case in point for me this year, like I believed it last year and I truly believe it this year, Felipe Anderson, his road to the final UCL card was one of my absolute favorite midfielders in the game as a box to box player for a very long time. He has 77 finishing, but if you put a maestro cam on him, he has 99 shot Mm. power and the amount of chances that he finishes just because of that shot power is unbelievable. You hardly even notice that 77 finishing. So Mm. like I'd encourage you guys some like experiment around use more power than you think you should and see what yeah. happens. You're absolutely right about that. Like using more power as you get close to the goal, it's just a no-brainer because it's not going to miss once you get to a certain point and the player has acceptable finishing. You know, it's going to go on target. And... I've been there too, but for, yeah, for the well, most yeah. part, yes. <laughs> and also you can hit it at the keeper, right? So, but yeah, like generally it, it tends to help. Um, Steve, I wanted to get your thoughts on all this. Um, you haven't come in on this. Well, yeah, absolutely agree with, with what the guys have said there. Um, perhaps the reason people have the perception that it's not so effective at breaking down people who are sitting deep is because... Maybe they're not actually sitting deep, if you see what I mean. If if somebody does have pretty high depth, they will, they will tend to close down long shots more than if they're uh, if they're on low depth. So that 
may alter people's perceptions, but long shots are definitely effective at people who are legitimately mm. on low depth. It's often just a case of working it around and finding that pocket of space and, and getting a midfielder into it. And uh, again, back to custom tactics, really. If, if somebody's playing that way, you need to make sure that you've got midfielders getting forward. If they're all just staying back, then uh, you're limiting the, the amount of shooting opportunities that you're going to get from long range, really. There we go. Thanks to input there from Japes, Steve and Marcus on long shots. We're going to move into talking about a question here from Rob with Richard Buckley, Japes and Matt for trading. How accessible do you think the top icons should be? Should they be held back like holy grails or should they be made more obtainable to most players? And how would you go about that? Richard, do you want to start us off? It's a tough one because these are the, the, the best of the best players in, in the game. So I certainly think over the course of the year, there should, in any game cycle, you should have an opportunity to be able to play with one of the, the big dogs because that's what we're all playing for. Mm. It's just how do you make it accessible to everybody without sort of giving it to everybody? potentially some sort of progression system in where you can rank up your players. I would also love, uh, this probably won't ever happen, but at the start of the year, we all just get an icon and it can be any icon in the game. And you, for how many games you play with that icon, each sort of milestone you hit, he goes up. And I think that will be a very personalized thing uh, in FIFA. Like it's just a complete random base icon and, for 500 games, you get upgrades to the mid. For 1,000, he upgrades to the prime. And then for 1,500, you get the the prime icon moments version of it. Mm. Just because it, I'm not sure if the other two guys have got any way of, of sort of saying it as well, but I just don't see a way in where you can't give out these players to people. Mm. Yeah, you can't just hand them out. There has to be some kind of system for doing that. Just quickly to interject before we move on to Matt and Japes, I think that you're right that by the end of the year, if you're playing consistently throughout the year, you should definitely be able to afford any particular individual player in the game that you want. So whether that's, you know, prime moments, Ronaldo, or it's prime moments, Ronaldinho, Team or it's... CR7, um, anybody. You should be able yeah, to or have CR7, well, whoever, the option players. to yeah, be able to play with exactly. them yeah, at some point. You, by the end of the year, if you've been playing consistently throughout the year, that player should be someone that you're using by, say, just after Team of the Season. Uh, there is no doubt. And I think the big problem for me was last year that didn't happen. There was no doubt that the vast majority of players who were playing throughout the year still couldn't afford the very best players in the game. And I think, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think that should be the way it works and it doesn't work like that currently. Um, Matt, what, what about you? Yeah, I think if you're an avid player of the game, whether that be you know being a, a very, very capable player or a, a hardcore trader, you should be able to get the best items in the game. It's as simple as that. You shouldn't have the best items in the game where the only way you're able to obtain them is to spend 15 million coins on them. You know, no one, unless you're dumping a lot of money onto the game or you're one of the best traders in the world, is going to have 15 million coins at any point of the year, really, to dump into, into one card. So mm. whether you make it so... It's a very, very long-term gameplay grind. You know, other games do it. 2K do it. You can 
You know, you can play hundreds and hundreds of games, completing tons of objectives, and get some of the best items in the game at that point of the year just through playing the game a lot. And I think EA need to find a a way to adopt that sort of system. Icon swaps is a good way of sort of luring the casuals into a sort of gameplay grind to get okay rewards. Not the best rewards, but okay rewards. You need to have something for the, the truly hardcore grinders to obtain these top cards, be it through gameplay, be it through SPCs, whatever. Have a gameplay grind where you've got to win a thousand games or something to get a top tier icon. I don't see why this isn't in the game. It should have really, really long-term objectives. On the SBC front, make an SBC, you know, make it expensive, you know, have icon requirements with high-rated squads. You know, obviously you've got to try and balance out the market impact with, with the cost. I understand that, but you've got to give opportunities for players to get these top tier cards that aren't locked behind only spending 15 million coins on the market. That's not a balanced mm. way to do it, in my opinion. You've got to give a way for people to do it, be it through gameplay rewards, gameplay objectives, or through the SBC section. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think, yeah, Richard's point of having a sort of longer term grind that works your way towards that would work really well. Jakes, what are your thoughts on this? I So uh, I'm going to go back to an idea that I mentioned, gosh, it has to have been months ago now, but I, I sort of feel like icon swaps shouldn't be broken down into seasons and instead like mm. i don't want to say all, i i don't think all the swaps tokens should be released at right at the beginning of the year but i think every single icon in the game should have a an associated swaps token value and every i don't know call it like every month ea opens up like 20 swaps that you can complete. Yeah. And so like you can cash them in anytime you want in a store of like swaps tokens. So if you want to get like a bunch of lower rated icons to compete early on, like that's great if you want to save. But then in in an additional element, like if you want to take baby, like a baby Ronaldo, like a baby R9 early, like I would like to see there be a way where you can trade in like your baby Ronaldo and another group of swaps swaps tokens to go up to the mid one. Hmm. You know, does that, does that make yeah, like so you can sense. constantly kind of like progress along with it? But I, like to me, I just feel like it needs to be a catalog of every single icon in the game, and swaps should be released right from the beginning with objectives that never expire. Yep, and people can go about them as quickly or as slowly, I suppose, as they want. Now, the, the tricky part is what we know with this community is that they're going to find a way to do them as quickly as possible, <laughs> right? And with Golden Goal and that sort of thing, like, I don't, I think that's a little bit tricky, but I, I just, like, to me, if somebody wants to, like, if you know that R9 is 100 swaps tokens and you want to, like, grind and save towards that, like, that, that should be up to you. But in fairness, in terms of the, people doing them too quickly which i think is definitely a concern you can tell from the fact that they split the swaps tokens across an extended period so that people don't do it all at once i think what you're saying would work really well because you're saying you release the swaps tokens on a sort of scheduled basis maybe at the start of each season and therefore people wouldn't be able to you know instantly grind over a course of a week to get prime moments ronaldo you know it would take 
six months of completing those tokens every month or something like that. And I think that does sound like a, you know, a good sort of balanced way with a, a sort of good time scale of progression to, to make that work. I think, Matt, did you want to come in here? Yeah, I was just saying, like, instead of treating it as cards, I think we should just have a new currency in Ultimate Team. Have tokens as a currency that you see next to FIFA points that you mm. grind, not only through objectives, but put them in everything. Put them in weekend league rewards. Mm. You know, you get more tokens for the higher weekend league reward rank you get. Put them in division rivals. Make this a, a, a currency that you can grind and have a token market that you can, mm. as you say, select as many icons as are available in that point of the game. But yeah, you want to stagger the, the icons that are released that can be obtained through tokens as they do currently with the, the icon releases. You know, Have prime icons available in December. Have moments icons available in February. Add them to the token market at that point of the year to stagger the power curve. That's fair enough. But they mm. need to have a way like that for people to grind gameplay objectives to obtain the best cards in the game. It shouldn't be that you have to spend money being, being an elite trader, you know, best in the world, and have to buy these cards off the market. They should have a system in place that allows everyone to engage at some level without having to spend infinite amounts of money to get the top cards. And there we go. A big thanks to Japes, Richard and Matt for their thoughts and everyone else who appeared in this combination podcast, I suppose. And there is, of course, as there always is, a whole other podcast out there for you to enjoy. And this one will be the content pod discussing the recent content, players and plenty more as we do on those content pods. You can get that over on the Patreon by becoming a supporter, just £3 a month, and you get double the amount of podcast content. And there are plenty of other perks too, including the incredible Discord community. You can get that over at bit.ly slash more pods. That's bit.ly slash more pod. A huge thank you to all those supporters and to those icon patrons. Dave B, DJ FIFA player, Coach Vass, Hugh J, Thomas, Alan G, Hunter B, Alistair, Martin M, Jordan, Matt L, Chris W, David S, Liam B, Reese A, Harry P, Sam B, Adam G, Neil P, Jake G, Robbie S, Jake S, Zach O, Tom B, Stephen F, Eric T, Christopher R, Jonathan P, Elliot M, Lee A, Paul, Johan P, Dominic, Rob P, Michael, Sam P, David C, Brian S, Sila P, Mikael L, Nishant, Ruben D, Dougie, Anthony R, Jeff B, Stephen M, Roger D, Stephen C, Andrew C, Dan W, Pobius, Sporkum, Bronco, Matt H, and Savage P. At Lowe's, we know you can get the job done faster if you don't have to stop and come into the store all the time. That's why we've updated our app with your business in mind. With the app, you can build quotes, easily reorder your supplies, track orders, and much more. So you can get everything you need right away, stay on the job, finish it, and get started on the next one. Download the app today. Because Lowe's knows time is money. Lowe's knows pros. Plus a special thanks to Luke M, Dave B, Nick V, Hugh J, Tom M, Darren W and Pato Foot for advice and production assistance. Before I leave you though, just one more thing to add. FIFA is a bit like life really. It has its many ups and its many downs. And if you are having a few more downs 
than ups in real life in these more difficult times, then please don't feel that you're alone or need to struggle on without taking action. If you go to thecalmzone.net, there's loads of resources, advice, and support, or even just a chat available to anyone who needs it. If it sounds like it could help you, then head over to thecalmzone.net. And for now, I'll catch you next time. At Lowe's, we know you can get the job done faster if you don't have to stop and come into the store all the time. That's why we've updated our app with your business in mind. With the app, you can build quotes, easily reorder your supplies, track orders, and much more. So you can get everything you need right away, stay on the job, finish it, and get started on the next one. Download the app today. Because Lowe's knows time is money. Lowe's knows pros. Sports Social Podcast Network.